Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just clicked the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Jenks Morton, author of Why He Hates You, is a groundbreaking international and award-winning documentarian. As founder of the Iago Entertainment Group, LLC, he states the company came into existence to reflect both the conscience and unconscious soul of black America. Jenks Morton has been in the entertainment industry for more than 20 years and is a much sought-after teacher, lecturer, commentator, and motivational speaker. He has convened workshops, seminars, and served as a panelist and keynote speaker at colleges, universities, prisons, conferences, churches, and community centers around the world. For those of you who've wondered why, and even those who've not, Jenks Morton painstakingly answers the question loud and clear, why he hates you, how unreconciled anger is destroying black men and boys. Jenks Morton, welcome back to A Measure of Truth. And thank you for having me again, Mike. It's an honor and a pleasure, as usual. We need to do it more often. It has been too long. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, Jenks. And you know something? I, I am so psyched up about this show because, you know, we talked a little bit about you make these documentaries that are um, very probing, and um, your books and everything has a strong title that pretty much shoots a question out at you that just, you know, pierces your heart and makes you really think you know, as to what it might be about and, and what you're about to discover. Now, mm-hmm. this this particular book, though, is, is like I said, a soul-piercing, thought-provoking piece that takes you on a road that few would dare to travel. And as a matter of fact, some of the content for most men will be a little unsettling. So tell us how you prepare your readers to man up and get ready to put the work in that's needed in this book. That's a great question. 
There, um, <clears throat> I think the opening, the preface, it's been a while. I haven't looked at my own book in a minute, but um, <laughs> I, I kind of, uh, what we're dealing with in there is reconcili- reconciliation around your life choices. So <clears throat> I, I qualify the book in the opening segment by saying something along the lines like, if you find yourself being troubled while you're watching this, or while you're reading this book, it's best to put it down and go catch your breath. Mm. Um that just the topic of maternal anger in the black community, because it's such a taboo subject, uh, mother is above reproach, just the title puts a lot of women just off. They won't even read the book because they they, they already have their preconceived notions of what maternal anger represents or angry black boys or all of that stuff. And they don't want a disservice, one, to themselves and then more so to, to the community because there's some real um, – solutions in that book there's a real pathway to healing in that book and also a, a way to try to, to to close this this cultural mantra down shut it down that you know we cannot challenge correct or confront our own mothers uh it keeps us in a childlike and infant-like state uh even into our adult lives and if you can't talk to your parents as an adult then you're definitely going to have unreconciled issues with them and and still navigating and negotiating the world more like a child than an adult. Right. And and give us some examples of how this actually plays out so that we can sort of keep people into what this is really addressing. I was in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, probably a couple of weeks ago, and a young man, you know, I'm talking on the subject matter of unreconciled maternal anger, and he, he gets to talking, and he says it like this. He says, I love my mother, but, and that tells me right off you know, at that juncture, that's where it's time to stop the conversation because if you love your mother, the word but does not follow. Right. Um, he's been, he went on to say, sorry, I love my mother, but, you know, sometimes she, she's she's controlling or sometimes she, she trips or I don't like what she she's done with men in her life. You know, that but negates the love. It's not a true love. It is uh, this thing that we do in the black community, and that's pay lip service to our matriarch without the authentic uh true knowing and understanding of what love is. Mm-hmm. And because we, we're we not allowed to really to get into that space with our mamas, we repress a lot of things, uh, a lot of things that we've seen, potential traumas, uh, bad decisions, uh, bad parenting. And if you're never allowed to address it, then you repress it. If, mm-hmm. if, you, if you don't address these things, they go either into your pre or your subconscious and they become a fabric part of the fabric of who you are and the ultimate measure of this thing is that if you have, um, as a young male, if you have unreconciled maternal anger, uh, it basically plays out if you if you hate your mother, you end up being attracted to a woman who's the spiritual surrogate of your mother. So mm. the, the the larger framework of what we're doing is, you know, the clinicians like to talk about replicative family behavior, or you know, like if your daddy's alcoholic, you have a higher probability to be an alcoholic. Well, I, I want to deal from the space that I, I want healthy marriages. From the jump street, I don't want you chasing your mother. I want you to chase the person that was set aside for you, not the mm-hmm. thing that you're attracted to. Not the thing that you're attracted to because of your resentments or your angst or your bitterness or your hatred or your anger. That is the wrong reason to be uh, getting into any kind of relationship. Now, Jenks, why is this issue more problematic in the, the uh, African American community than others? Uh, twofold. <clears throat> the first reason is that. Um, we have 82.3% of African-American children born since 1990 are guaranteed to live in a house without their fathers. Mm-hmm. But the primary person responsible for their socialization is their mother, the, the person who touches them. That Their fathers have very limited and low access. Uh, so, you know, you have parental anger. Unreconciled parental anger is the bigger arc, but because in the black community, with the absence of fathers, the, the, you know, the person on the end of the of the poker is mother because she's the one who's been there. And then also in the black community, we and this I'm finding is in other communities, so I won't say it's unique to us, but we have this thing that's it's called the deification of the matriarch. It's what I alluded to a little bit earlier. You are not allowed to talk about your mother. It's just right. it's, it's against the rules, and and you will go directly to hell if you try to talk about your grandmother. And it is debilitating from you know from a self actualization standpoint because you you just can't get there if you've got things that you have not been able to deal with in a proper context. So if you've seen uh, your if your mother you know had her boyfriend over at one night and did left you upstairs and you 
burn down your room, but whatever the trauma is, and you've never been able to address that as in, a, in an adult and correct fashion, then it represses. And the things that you you don't deal with ultimately dictate where you end up. So if uh, you know if, if I don't like the way my mother was manipulative or controlling or use money to, to, to kind of keep me under the, the false thumb of her power, then guess what I go out and do if I haven't dealt with her? I go out and find a woman who's manipulative, controlling, and uses money against me. It's just mm. that's that's the pattern. <laughs> so, you, you know, we all, you know, you want to talk about, well, you know, his father was a teenage father. Why is he a teenage father? Well, it's the environment and it's poverty and it's social and all this other. No, it's it's a spiritual arc. It is, you are bound by those things that can control, that can cause you to become Resentful. If you have anger, bitterness, resentment on your heart, you're under a spiritual authority, and you don't even understand why you do certain things in your life. Wow. Now, you made a very good point just now. This is a book and a story of spiritual transformation. So so tell us where the healing begins and some of the things that um, are present in your book that will help people to be able to um, first um, identify and then address some of these issues that they may have within themselves. Well, it's twofold. In each chapter, <clears throat> you, you, uh, you know, I kind of give a personal narrative of things that happened in my life with my mother. And then at the end of the chapter, I give like an outline. Here's what it was. This is what it means to a young boy. And, and that's one of the hardest things um, for women to understand is that, you know, they, they're out here doing the best that they know how, but, you know, just innately they're going to do things that instill resentment in young boys. It's just It's just the way it is. So if you're doing this type of behavior, Mom, you need to check it because this is what you're turning this boy into. So that that is a, a pathway for the mothers. But for the men, you know, I, I, my ultimate message is reconciliation through forgiveness, showing how to release your, both of your parents, your mother or father, for whatever they did and not holding uh, yourself hostage with your own anger or resentment towards them. So the last chapter is fully dedicated to how to reconcile, what's the process, what's, you know, what do you need to do with your parents in order to remove this burden from your heart. Hmm. Now, <clears throat> now, this book is, is very deep and introspective. You, you mentioned this is a, a lot of your own life as well, and um, you know, I commend you for the transparency in this book, but what Thanks. actually happened in your life that made you consider actually taking the step to not only write this book, but do the work beforehand that it took to be able to um, provide the content in it? Well, I, I say, you know, I didn't get set. I got set free in 2006. It, a, a man looked at me and told me everything that I'm saying in that book. You know, he's, he doesn't have the <clears throat> more clinical background, but he, he just basically set me free from my mother. So I, I've been on tour for four or five years uh, doing this kind of work with young men and, and adult men and grown old men and young boys all over the country. So the book came relatively easily because what, what happened was I was speaking and this woman came up to me and she said, you know, do you have a book? And I'm like, I don't like to write. I really don't. And she hmm. said, well, you, you need to understand you're like a Southern Baptist preacher. You know, when you get out of church, everybody will say, that's a good sermon. Well, what did he talk about? I don't know, but it was good. So women needed something more tactile and more something they could take at their own pace and mm -hmm. understanding what I was explaining through these lectures. So that's why it only took 17 days to write the book. I mean, it's, a, it's 180 pages, but I've been lecturing on it for about four or five years. So wow. it was a, a relatively simple process. Hmm. So you actually just took some of the things you had been speaking about and all these stories and you just put them down into words mm -hmm. on paper. Wow. Yeah, yeah, the stories that I tell, yeah, well, of course you get, you know, in the in the narrative of a book, you get to say, like, as, a, as opposed to me saying, you know, I was 12 years old and I was in, and my mother swung a broom at me. When you say that in public, well, and, and I can tell you, you know, she was cooking breakfast in the book and it was bacon and eggs and I could smell the the, the sweet flavor up and I knew that was my mm -hmm. wake up. That's, you know, that's the writing part of what you do. Some of the same same story, but you know just how you construct it there, and then how you organize it, because you know the the book is non-sequitur, so it's not okay. Let's start when you're 12 and work up till you're 42. It bounces across ages because, you know, it's 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 like how what I show is how the mind works and how when things are repressed they come out at certain times. So what I'm doing is giving you a bigger arc around the life story or a semi-autobiographical part of me, but 
let me take you back when I was 12 on this one, okay, and then I'll tell you what happened when I was 30 on this one, and then in the next chapter, well, let's go back to when I was 15, and then weave it all together towards the end of the book. Now, let's talk about how this book can can help a mother with her son. Let's say a mother who is a um, a single parent and um, who is at the point where she may understand that she may be making some mistakes with her son, but is not really understanding their impact, but knows that there's just something not right. Give us an idea of an example of some of these things that are highlighted in the book that could help that person. Well, the, 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 the one that kind of sets off that, that chapter, and I'm sorry, I, I don't know the chapter specifically, but I, I, I tell a story about, and it's called Catching the Broom, <clears throat> and that's a day that basically my mother could no longer physically correct me. You know, like you hit you with the belt and you basically laugh. It, it doesn't bother you mm-hmm. anymore. So what she did at that juncture, she devolved to uh, manipulation, negoci- negotiation, and castigation, the big mm-hmm. creations. Uh, manipulation or, or appealing to pride and egos, you know, saying, you know, I need you to be the man of the house now, or that kind of stuff, or uh, castigation, you know, your daddy's no good, you don't want to be like him, or negotiation, um, here's five dollars to go clean up your room. So those right. things build, build lifelong arcs. They're not just typical anti-authoritarian responses of a young boy. We're talking things that build the lifelong resentment. So to really give the case study, I I say, okay, this is what happened at 50. My mother said, okay, I'll give you $5 if you go clean up your room. And then I'll take you forward to when I'm 32 years old, and then I go, I meet a woman who says, be a man, pay my bills. Well, if I had not been taught that, you know, my value is around my ability to pay for something, that I was negotiable, that I had a price tag by my mother, when that woman says to me, be a man and pay my bills, I tell her, I am a man, I'm going to make you stand up as a woman and take care of your own responsibilities. That's hmm. that's you, you see the parallels now, right? But right. Because I haven't dealt with my mother properly, it's not only that I fall for it. I'm attracted to that woman as the one, and it's not love. It's really a lot of lust and a lot of un, unresolved issues with my mother, and she hmm. is the she is the the walking twin, the spiritual surrogate of my mother. So all the things that my mother had done to control me, I get into an adult relate. Well, it's not even like I'm an adult, but an uh, 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 age of majority relationship where I'm under the same types of things that I resented in my mother, the woman that I think is like my fiance and I'm proposing to is doing the exact same thing to me that my mother did to me, that my mother did to my father, that her mother did to my grandfather. And that's the line. It just keeps going over and over again until someone puts their foot down and deals with their parents in an adult fashion. Now, I see from what you're saying that this is more of a, a book of relationships between a, a mother and a son and a way to develop a healthy relationship and help a mother also mm-hmm. to see into the future some of the things mm-hmm. that she thinks are good ideas as far as um, teaching life skills but are, are just done in a, a dysfunctional way. And um, yeah. are, are there solutions also in the book that will help them to do similarly what they're trying to do but in the, the correct way? It's a real simple. I mean, you know, sometimes the truth is so transparent it loses. Um, what the recommendation in the book, especially for young boys, one that you know a woman cannot teach a boy to become a man. She can raise him, but mm-hmm. she can't teach him to become a man. That's the true. urgent and necessary thing that has to happen for a young boy to protect him from himself mm-hmm. is to have a positive legal male role model, as many as you can get, that never cross the threshold of your bedroom. That's the mm-hmm. advice. Mm. It gets no simpler than that. All right. the other stuff is kind of minutia. Right. Really, boys need men. Now, that's the key. Now, you made a point, though, that never crosses the threshold of the bedroom. Tell us why that's so important. Because he loses validity with both of you do. And let, let me, I'll put it, I'll put it I, I'm pretty sure this is in the book. If not, I lecture on it. Mm-hmm. Single mother who was never married to my father. Now, this is not my story. I'm talking as uh, uh, as observer of a young boy. My father and mother were married, but there's some other things going on there that I explain in the book. Okay, but let's say I'm a single boy from a mother, and you're not new. Have never been with my father, so I'm gonna give you one, young boy, a mama. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a break. Daddy was no good. He didn't show up. The second man that comes through, I start to question your judgment. If it's mm. three, four, five, six over the course of my lifetime, it no longer becomes a function. And it, this usually happens when he becomes 
a young male, so, so 22, 24 years old. This is what happens. He basically says, okay, I love my mother, but she's a poor judge of character because I've seen mm. guys coming in and out of her house. And so you can't tell me to do anything to try to correct me. I'm going to respect you as my mother, but every time you open your mouth trying to tell me how to live morally or try to live right, I'm not listening because you didn't do right, and I saw it. Mm. Wow. And, and, you, and you know, well, you may not know. I'll tell you I know. As a man who, in, you know, in my former life, who dated um, women with uh, sons, Mm-hmm. You know, when you cross that threshold as a man, you don't have the authority of daddy anymore. You might be like friend or Uncle Jenks or Big Brother Jank or whatever, but you're not like a daddy. You're not a father figure anymore. Right. If, as and, you cross it in the confines of marriage, that's different. Mm-hmm. But as a single person, no, you don't have that authority anymore. You and, and I've been on the end of a you, you know, you ain't my daddy. I've heard that a couple times in my life. Yeah. Because I was sleeping with your mother. I have no validity. Mm-hmm. Wow. So tell us the difference then when that <clears throat> when that male role model comes into the picture and he's not in a direct relationship with the mother across that threshold of the bedroom and mm-hmm. um, develops a meaningful relationship with the child. And, and tell us how that is so much different. Well, it, 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 because he has the respect of a young boy, one, and he's being genuine, he can practice what he's practicing, what he preaches. Mm-hmm. And but more importantly, he has the ability to help that boy navigate through his own masculinity in a way that a woman just can't do. Mm-hmm. So, one of the examples I explain in, in the book, you know, my son right now, you know, my my wife every twenty eight days or so, she has her her thing. I mean, she she has mood swings, and I'm not saying they're significant, but her mood changes every twenty eight days. As I handle that as as a husband. My son will watch. You know, am I more patient? Do I disengage? Whatever I do, mm. he has something that he can model from a gender perspective right. that will take him through the rest of his life. He'll watch me. He'll, mm-hmm. He has something that he can see and touch as I, in my relationship with my wife. But then also as, as I walk up to you for the first time when we saw each other in front of the bookstore, as I shake your hand, as we look, as we, you know, as we talk, and as we interchange, my son can watch that. And he can model those behaviors. He, right. He just he, these are the things that a positive legal male role model provides. He get he sets forth a template where a young boy has something from his own gender identity where he can either relate or discount or or weigh and evaluate on what he wants to become. But if he's raised, you know, mostly around women or in hyper feminine environments. He doesn't have anything that he that looks and touch that he can touch that is like him from a gender perspective, and it frustrates. Him. Right, and and out of that frustration, this is where the uh, the backlash occurs, and it's yeah. really a, a young man who is trying to come into his own, who yeah. is in the period of his life where he knows that there should be some changes, and he sees it in his peers, but somehow he's not getting the same information that he needs to make the transition. Yeah, and you see him. I mean. I was at a, a, a rec center, a community center, I'm sorry, over the weekend screening my, my one of my movies, and this boy, I mean, he just he just walks in and he just reeks of no no legal male role model. He just reeks of it. I mean, it's not that he's got his pants hanging down half around his behind. He's actually got the butt cheeks cut out like Prince from that MTV mm. thing. From, mm. You remember a few years ago that, that scene? Yeah. Right, and then when men, men collapsed on him because we were in a, in a room full of a lot of women, so the men collapsed on him like you're not going to carry yourself like this, and he sucks his gums and rejects our masculinity like, you know, like as a man, you know, when you ask a woman out for a date on a date, her first thing is to kind of reject you to make you prove your worth. Well, uh, this young boy who has been around nothing but women rejects his own gender because just like a woman because he's been raised by women. And there's going to come a day when he's going to figure this thing out, and he's going to turn the focus of his of it. As he, it's hard unless he's seen the book. He's probably going to turn it on the first woman that he has contact with, i.e., his relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and he, he's impatient. He just, he's actually angry. He's manipulative. He just he's got a whole bunch of stuff with him that has never been checked. Right. So I mean, he'll say he'll say the same thing. You ain't my father. You know he'll say that. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like a girl. It's like a girl to me. 
Okay, what, why, what does that got to do with anything? I didn't say I was your father. I'm a man, and I'm trying to help you. But he wants to try to manipulate me by uh, he's doing a, a twist about the point uh, about, like, w- what is your father? Your father's not here. He obviously didn't care. But if I approach him like that, it evokes him to anger because he has never been shown by a man how to control himself or how to accept and understand and even recognize what a, a man trying to sow positively into his life looks like. Now let, let's look at the, the the extreme case of how far this can go. Um, you, you've mm-hmm. actually you you spoke at um, some prisons as well, and um, tell mm-hmm. us about some of the the um, the harsh realities of what this can do to a young man who who is um, just misguided but takes um, matters into his own hands as far as masculinity and, and goes way over the line trying to prove well, himself. It's, it's not even that. It's a false sense of masculinity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you know a, a man is basically, you know, in the confines of his faith, his community, and his family. He puts himself last. That's what it means to be a man. Right. Well, a, a male is someone who puts himself first, and he's constantly trying to ratify his own identity, his own gender identity, and he doesn't know what it is. So it's, when I say it's a false sense of masculinity, he thinks that you know, going and lifting weights and, 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 and robbing and showing off in the streets in front of girls is like being a man. That's not it. You know, that's you doing you. So when you go to the jails and prisons, the consequence of, of not having a man coaching God, I mean, typically the father is what's called the ratifier to the superego, or he's the one that establishes absolutism, absolutely right or absolutely wrong, there is no shade of gray, i.e., your father tells you you never take another man's life, period, no mm-hmm. question, no no, no, no negotiation. But, you know, if you move into the world, the world says, well, it's okay if he, you know, kills someone in your family, an eye for an eye. That's not mm-hmm. what it says. The book says thou shalt not commit murder. Um, that's, you know, that thou shalt not steal or thou shalt not bear false witness, those are absolutes. It's non-negotiable. That's what daddy kind of does. Well, I, I see the dude on the 6 o'clock news a couple of weeks ago that drives me crazy, got caught robbing, and he, you know, the, the, the daddy message is, that, you know, you don't steal from another man, period. And he says, well, it's all right to steal because i got to feed my family. That's mm. negotiable. Mm. That, 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 that's the difference, that, you know, a, a very hard-line father versus the world, which gives you negotiability on absolutes. Mm. And when you get to the jail, you get a whole bunch of no negotiation. You know, I did it because. No, and, and without even taking onus for the responsibility of their action. That's another hardcore daddy. You own up to everything you do, and you don't mess up the family name. That's daddy stuff, hardcore daddy stuff. Mm. So you get in the jail, it's, it's, you get because all the time. It's just dry. So why did you do it? Well, you know, it was this and it was that. No, it, you, you'd hardly or seldom if ever here, especially when there, there's been a lack of, you know, masculine influence. No, I was wrong. I was dead wrong. I'm learning right now. Trust me, I will never let my community, my family, or, or my, my faith down again in this way. It's not going to happen. Hmm. You don't even have to ask me why. That's that, that's man enough. But right. you, you don't get that. You don't get that, especially, um, again, so many are being raised in these hyper-feminine environments, they don't know what it means to man up. They think man up means basically go out and kill another black man. Mm-hmm. Man up means you don't snitch. Man up means, you know, you wear the white tees. Man up means you wear Tim. That's crazy. Yeah, it is, and it's misguided. And um, yeah. and, and, and it's interestingly enough, though, but these young men, um, even with their dysfunction, find there there are certain women who are only attracted to um, the misguided young man. Yeah, they, they like that stuff, and it, uh, and it goes back to daddy again. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, I don't know if you have children, but I, let my daughter come home with one of them things. <laughs> For real, but more importantly, yeah. you know, I've been doing. You know, though she does not live with me, I think I've been doing my job because, trust me. I, I hold her in a way so she knows what an appropriate touch was. I open the door for her so she knows what a, a man is supposed to do for her. I think the first thug that comes along and tries to kick that stuff, she's gonna be like, "This does not mm-hmm. feel right. Right? It's just not. This is not right." Instinctually, mm-hmm. she, I'm programming her on how to be treated. So, you know, thug boy, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't wear the saggy pants. 
You know, I, I wear suits. Now, I'm not saying she's going to go get a suit, but I definitely don't think she's going to be attracted to a dude that's got his, you know, showing his butt cheeks. Right, right. And, and, and this in itself, too, um, when a young man is, is trained the proper way, and, and I know mm-hmm. this from my own personal experience, when I, when I do the things that show respect for a woman, those are the things that make me stand out to some women, but it was also at the same time the thing that made me seem corny to those so women we, that I didn't or, need to be with. And that's the, when they, when they say that, you know, like are you soft or you you exactly. you know that's girly. Okay, goodbye. And that exactly. is what your lens is on what you think masculinity is supposed to represent. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and go get you know go get Tiger Woods. He'll hit you. Go <laughs> go right ahead. You know, go go get Kanye. He'll act a fool for you. Go get Little Wayne. He won't have teeth in about twenty years. That, if that's what you like, go get it. Wow. And that real, I mean, it's a hardcore line in the sand of understanding, you know, and again, you know, my heart goes out to Tiger Khan because, I mean, the, the the topic that we're on, unreconciled maternal anger, it's all over that dude and he don't even see it. Mm. He is the, the epitome. I can guarantee you his mother and his wife are spiritual surrogates. They're the same person. Wow. Mm. He just reeks of it. His father he writes about it. I mean, those transgressions of leaving outside of the marriage did the same thing. That's mm-hmm. rep- replicative family behavior. Mm-hmm. He reeks of that thing. I mean, it's it, it just you know, just again as an observer from the outside. If, if this is you know what you know what's your what's your long shot diagnosis? Unreconciled maternal anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, wow. and it, what it looks like, you know, you know, get down to the you know, lower economic level. You know, you don't have to be as rich as Tiger to do this, but. It's basically he vacillates. I love you one minute, you're my wife, and the next minute I'm chasing the Hooters girl. Right. And wh- where, how that is, that's this place with his mother. I love you, mother, but. That's what it looks like. I love mm. you, mother, but. I love you, wife, but. I got to have my Hooters chick. Mm. Yeah. And, and the thing of it is, it's, you know, it's all over our community, right? I, I mean, I... I said two weeks ago I was in Memphis. I had a 24-year-old boy just fall out in my arms, made me cry on stage because he really? got it off of his heart in front of everybody. Hmm. He, he sat he sat up there and said, "I love my mother, but and I t- I looked him dead in his eye. He didn't even move because you know normally if you talk about somebody's mama, it's going to evoke a response in the black community. But I told him straight to his face, "You don't love your mother, and you don't have to lie to us, but it's okay because we're going to get you through this." And he fell out in tears. Hmm. He is finally, after 24 years, and mine happened when I was 42. The mm-hmm. reason I was choked up is because I wish somebody would have done this for me when I was 24. So mm-hmm. at 24, he had finally been given a safe place to express how he really feels as an adult. My mama was trifling. Mm-hmm. She, I, and, you know, I talk about three or four guys. He, he said it's more than I can count. Wow. And this is a college kid. I mean, he's strong. I mean, he got the GPA. He's functional as you relate, you know, educational attainment, graduating school, all that stuff. Can't keep a relationship. Mm-hmm. Mama. Wow. Hmm. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's controversial. It's a showstopper. But, in, you know, I, I deal in a lot of spaces out there, you know, political, social activism, spiritual activism, and all this stuff. But I, I, in my lens, through what mm. I see, this is the pathology. This is wow. this is this is ball game. If I if I can deal with this and get this thing rooted out, then my my own personal life to me is like the case study. When someone took this off of me, I was on C-SPAN within a year. Mm-hmm. My purpose became clear. The, the 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 hatred on my heart no longer held me hostage. My my relationships just took off after that. And I'm not just talking about my wife. I'm talking about I got married after this. My relationships mm-hmm. with people, my ability to empathize, my ability to love properly—all of that stuff fell into place once the, the anger and bitterness, resentment that I had in my heart towards my parents got taken out of me. Wow. And how long of a healing process was this for you? It was immediate. Hmm. Now, now restoration. There's a difference between reconciliation. Like reconciling means, okay, I forgive you, mother. Now, restoring the relationship to an adult place, that's never happened between my, me and my mother. That's just not happened because, you know, I, when I told her, you know, 
that this is how I feel and this is what, what, what transpired. I forgive you, mother. She went crazy. She basically, she cussed, she prayed, she cried, she, she tried to manipulate, she tried to, you know, just a bunch of things to try to keep me as a child. And I told her I will always be your son, but I haven't been your child for a long time. Mm. And that's me as an adult, talking to her as an adult. If you had a coworker that you knew was beating their kids the wrong way, you would say something. But you just can't do it with us. You just can't. Mm. You can't. If you saw in the grocery store, if you see a mother doing something crazy to her children, you have no power as a man to say anything. That's true. It is none of your business. Mm-hmm. Speak wow. when spoken to. You should be seen <laughs> and not heard. All of that. Mm-mm-mm. Wow, we're going to take a quick break, Jenks, and we'll be right back and we'll finish up and find out what you're up to, where you'll be speaking next, and um, we'll just talk a little bit more about all of the activities you have going on. That's great. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. I want to take a quick minute to talk to you about Young Lives DC 34. Young Lives is a unique, cutting-edge, nonprofit Christian organization designed to empower and equip pregnant and parenting teen moms to become productive citizens in the community, a program that partners teens and mature Christian women to provide teen girls in crisis with timely encouragement, guidance, and ongoing support. Through the power of presence, kids and teens' lives are dramatically impacted when caring adults come alongside them sharing God's love. Because someone believes in them, they begin to see that their lives have great worth, meaning, and purpose. This is just the first step in a lifelong journey. The choices they make today, based on God's love for them, will impact their future decisions, the careers they choose, the marriages they form, and the families they raise. And all of this can be traced back to the time when a young life leader reached out and entered their world. For more information or to get involved, check out their webpage at www.younglives.younglife.org. Or if you're in the D.C. metropolitan area, call 202-399-7017. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation and, yes, Believe it or not, communities just like yours. Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking, also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day. And with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, they can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, but are crucial to finding employment. They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at bridgetofreedomfoundation.org Or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 
1-800-227-8888. Multilingual call specialists are on standby 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. Welcome back to Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham, and we're talking with Jenks Morton about his book, Why He Hates You. Welcome back, Jenks. Thanks for having me again. Now, what do you have going on? Are you going to be speaking um, in the near future? And tell us a little bit about all the things, because you are a busy guy. I mean, you've got your films, you've got your books, you've got um, various documentaries. So tell us what's going on. Well, we, you caught me in, in the kind of downtime. I got one more speaking engagement, I believe, before the well, I know before the end of the year. <clears throat> That's in Philadelphia next week. Uh, I believe it's on the man. Oh, this is a attack. This is when you run too much. Don't even know the date. I'm supposed to have all this ready. <laughs> I think it's December the 14th in um, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, at the oh, okay. um, Crown Plaza Hotel. Let me make sure this is right. I'm pulling it up right now on the 14th. Yes, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, 7 p.m., uh, the Crown Plaza Hotel. My new film is premiering. It's called Guilty Until Proven Innocent, uh, which is an exploration of the uh, profiteering that goes on inside of the family courts and child services systems, how basically. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's Come on, Jake. Out here. Why don't I know <laughs> about this? <laughs> about what? About puppy? Really? About this one, yeah. Guilty until hey, proven innocent. I just wow. It, uh, two weeks ago, I believe, and it's okay. and really, I'm kind of keeping it off grid till I, I, mm. I release it, so I can qualify for some of the the awards for next year. Okay. But the real like big booming, like okay, my movie's here, kind of stuff. That that'll probably happen towards the first. Year. It's out. You can get it wow. on Amazon, but I'm kind of keeping it. Actually, the version that was released two weeks ago, the revised version just got shipped off on Friday. So it's still, you know, it's done, but you know, I had to make some tweaks on there. So after a focus group, but uh, I plan on, you know, that being going full blown uh, in mm -hmm. 2011. I really wanted to put two movies under my belt this year. Tell us a little bit more about what this guilty until proven innocent is about again. Cause I sort of interrupted you. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's just, I, I said this in my very first film and it's been one of my, um, statements for a while, that there are people in principalities who are, that have a vested interest in and are compensated to misinform you so they can mismanage you. Mm. Our, our mismanagement leads to our division, and our division leads to their profits. It's, it's, it sounds complicated, but basically people will pamphlet you. Mm. They won't tell you the truth so they can make money off of you, i.e. lawyers, i.e. judges, i.e. the child and family service system. And wow. The child and family, family services system service does not service children. It does not service families. It services division. Um, it is not about reconciling and making marriage work. It is about uh, figuring out a way to, for you to have the easiest divorce. It's not about who can how to spend uh, equal time with both parents uh, engaged in a child's life. It's about assigning one as a custodial parent, turning the other one into a visitor. Mm. I, think it is an I think it is an abomination before God that you will call a parent a visitor. That mm. system and then pitch you against each other with a check in the middle. In my world, mm. parents should spend equal time with both with their children, and neither one should pay child support because they're both being equal caregivers and providers. But I'm the crazy one. So. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, and um, just knowing you, I, I can see that this is going to be a very, very powerful movie, a powerful statement, very thought-provoking, and um, we're... We, We'll definitely hear some things that we've not heard before and understand the system, as you call it, uh, in a way we had not before. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, and I, I, even I, as I took on this topic, maybe about a year ago is when I first started filming this thing. Well, it's been nine months. But, you know, that women go into divorce proceedings and file false allegations of abuse just to get custody. I didn't know that. I mean, it mm. was it, it blew my mind. And mm -hmm. it's not like you know every now and then. This is the pattern. This is the the, the attorney saying, okay, we got to get the kids to make sure that you get some money to make sure you get your alimony and your child support. When you get to this check box, check that he's abused you, like a domestic violence or he's abused the kids or something like that, so you can get custody. And that he has to go in and prove that he hasn't abused them. And the problem that I have is that there's no repercussions against that lawyer or that person who filed that false allegation. Mm. 
And what I don't think most people understand is the child and family services system is outside the bounds of what's written into most state constitutions and the U.S. Constitution. It is a fourth arm of government that is self-regulating, that is wholly biased against men. Mm. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, you know, if i got to put it out there, I'll just put it out there. And women know this thing and mm-hmm. are using it to, to as tools to, to you know, really punish men. I understand you're hurt, but punishing the man is really not what's happening. You're punishing the kids. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't wait to see this because I just know how deep you go and um, how clear <laughs> you paint the pictures. So, you know, wow. <laughs> You know? Yeah, wow. this one is um, it's it's a little bit different than what I normally do in the fact that um, I usually sum up my movies with these proposition statements, like in closing, this is what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. This thing is so messy that after every subject, I have to kind of go on, you know, and put up on a slate and say, this is what you need to do to fix this. All throughout the movie, it's got a bunch of slates that basically, like, if, a, if you should ask for this from your legislation, if a if a lawyer makes three uh, is involved in three false accusation cases during the course of a twelve month period, they should be up for review, possibly suspended and disbarred. That should mm. be written into your laws. Mm. There's no and and if you say this to legislators. Here's the real abomination. They look at you like you're crazy because most of them come, the people who are writing the child and family court laws come from the child and family courts. Right. So they make money off of us fighting with each other. So if I say I don't want, you know, child support to be a part of this system anymore, then guess what? No brother ever gets locked up for being passed on his child support as long as he sees his kids, you know, three out of four days, three out of seven days of the week. Hmm. He's an equal provider. He never gets his license suspended. Right. And what happened to me a year ago, which was the catalyst for this film, I got pulled over in D.C. and my license was suspended. I had an insurance lapse, and I don't, you know. I, I can talk publicly, but I am aloof with that stuff. I changed companies and didn't notify somebody, so my license got suspended. The first question the police officer asked me after he told me, your license is suspended, are you past due on your child support? And I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> he doesn't know anything about you, but he makes that assumption. That's the first thing up, and it wasn't wow. a white, it was a black cop. wasn't a white cop, it was a black cop. The first thing out of his mouth was, I don't even know if he knew if I had kids. The first thing out of his mouth was, am I past due? I'm like, how are them two things connected? (laughs) I don't don't even understand why is that even, where is that coming from? And this is from a guy, you know, when I I really, really was, you know, making my my money the, the right way, you know, things have gotten different because of the recession, but, I would pay my child support ahead for the year. So you really have to understand how offended I was by that thing. Mm. And I'm like, okay. And the, the, to juxtapose that, this happened the same time. The, um, remember the, up in Detroit, they caught the, they called them the underwear bomber? Right, right, exactly. The, the, the young kids. So in my mind, the reason why that kid gets through the system is because the TSA, Department of Homeland Security, and the CIA do not talk to each other. That's why he slips through the cracks. I, as a black man who has a child, will not slip through any crack because they have got this system hooked up to something that it shouldn't be, and that's the Department <laughs> of Motor Vehicles. But wow. like, I, I, I constantly tell black America, just remember, I'm the crazy one. <laughs> I'm the one that will tell you I think you should go to a judge to get married and a pastor to get divorced. Mm. But I... But I get it backwards, so yeah. mm-hmm. don't listen to me. I'm the crazy one. Wow! And um, you didn't mention anything about your websites, Jenks, and we're just running close on time. I want to make sure that people understand where they can get this book, why he hates you, and um, also mention um, the documentary as well. Um, I forget the name of it now. Um, A guppy the, or which guilty of one, proven innocent? No, no, the other one that you just released in theaters for women. 
Oh, we need to talk. That thing. We need to talk. <laughs> so that's, a, that's a whole show in itself. <laughs> I know, and we did one, but I just want to always um, put yeah. that out there. Yeah, well, uh, everything is at whatblackmenthink.com, uh, www.whatblackmenthink.com, um, the book. It's one click away. Uh, I have an uh, exclusive agreement with Amazon. They produce, manufacture, and distribute everything. So if you have an Amazon account, it is one click away. And this is what I'm really, really – I'm trying to beat a stereotype out there is, two, one, that black folks don't read. And then, two, that we're not as technologically savvy as other ethnic groups. Those two stereotypes make me nutty. <laughs> I, I um, know in my heart that black men read. They just don't read in the format that, you know, publishers would like, and that is picking up a book. So the point is is that uh, I'm, I'm running kind of like a beta test where my book is available on on Kindle, but it's not the Kindle machine. I don't know if you all know this, black people, but you can get the Kindle app on your iPhone. You can get the mm-hmm. Kindle app on your Android phone. You can get the Kindle app on your BlackBerry phone. And I encourage, one, if you're a single mother raising a son, I know you all like to touch stuff, so you go buy the book. But let men know you can actually send them a link at the cell phone link that they can download it right to their phone. And then wow. I'm telling you, when men get up in the morning, the first thing they do, they get their phone, they look at the scores, or they look at the news. That's reading. It's just not mm-hmm. reading like the way y'all like to define. Right. Wow, that's great. And yep. um, also your your Facebook page is open, lots of information there, your website. And um, we, we'll definitely have you back on again, man, because you're such a busy guy. I mean, you have a thought and you produce a product. It's it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, the, the process, and I, I'm really, really, you know, encouraging black folks to kind of, and, and I've got a big announcement, and I'll definitely circle back with you come February uh, okay. when this thing gets launched. But um, we've got to do better with representing ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. yes, there are some flavor of love folks out there, and yes, there's some Don Juan <laughs> pimps out there, and yes, there's some Tiny and Toya out there. I get that. There's some housewives. I get that. But that I got to turn the TV on, and out of a 24-hour day, I'm getting 22-hour programming of Meet the Clowns, Ain't right. Right. And where my point is where technology is today, and this is going to happen real soon, some kid out there is going to take their cell phone with some editing software and make a movie. It's it, it, The technology is right there right now. Right. Um, and that that is us taking back and taking onus for how we want to be represented. Mm-hmm. And that, that, you know, I, of course I'm in some real you know, heavy social subject matter, but, mm-hmm. you know, Tell the story about what it's like to be 17 at your high school and you're getting ready to graduate. And let's prove the, the media wrong because, you know what, they say 50% of the boys are going to drop out before y'all get graduation. I guarantee you they won't. Tell that story. Mm-hmm. And watch what happens when you throw that back in the media's face. It's my right. school. I go to Anacostia, one of the roughest schools around. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, we started out with 30. We graduated 27. What's up? Where's the 50? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And if I, So if I get, like, 20 schools around the country to tell that story, then they stop telling the lie that half of the brothers are dropping out right. and stop getting paid off of it because that's all it is. Like I just say, brothers are dropping out, white folks write checks. Hmm. That's it. That's as simple, as simple as it gets. Hmm. 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 Well, Jenks, look, I, I want to thank you, and um, we're already looking forward to the next time you drop by and, and come to share with us your, your next Product, project, or whatever you've got going on, and yeah, uh, I've got a big the- one. Let's, let's let's definitely schedule something for February. I've got a big announcement. I just can't like let it loose today, uh-huh. <clears throat> but it, but it's it's going to affect our area here in Washington D.C. Uh, I'm partnering with another organization, and there's going to be a, a significant number of eyeballs on my projects in Washington D.C. for Black History Month, and that's about as far as I can go. And I'd love to come on and, and you know really talk about the strategy and the approach about what, what why I did it and what we're going to do. All right. And, uh, yeah, thank you again, though, Jenks. And, and uh, we definitely have to talk later on this week, you know. Um, yeah, anytime. You know you can call me anytime, Mike. Come on now. All right. We'll do it. So look for it, man. <laughs> I will. All right. I will. I'm, I'm here. So so let's catch up. I appreciate the time. And uh, let's circle back soon. Okay. We'll do. Thank you again. All right, my friend. Thanks. 
The time has come for us to learn, to analyze and scrutinize the things that we have conveniently come to believe as factual through repetition for what is actually the real truth. We have somehow been led to slaughter by our refusing to ask the questions that would hopefully make sense of the rhetoric, if indeed the rhetoric made any sense at all. We have our suspicions for good reason. So often we find it easier to go along, to get along, rather than ask the questions that would lead us to the truth. Have we grown so accustomed to being lied to that the lie has become the thing that we desire? Have we lost our taste over the years for what is real and factual because we would rather be entertained than informed? How is it that we would rather focus on one tiny fragment of the aftermath than the root, source, and the cause? What then stops us from opening the debate that would bring about the key changes needed to break the cycle of injustice? Have we been made to feel powerless, or are we just unconcerned? What will it take to wake up America? In this age of information technology, there's more usable, factual resources available to the average individual through the Internet that could have ever been available to the most learned scholar just 15 years ago. But we still choose to be spoon-fed rather than research, debate, and digest the truth for ourselves. Now we find that we are so brainwashed that our attention now locksteps to the next scandalous, exaggerated, emotion-driven headline, while the truth sits unnoticed, in plain sight, yet another day. Well, I for one will not be a part of this brainwashing of the masses, this decline in intellect, this surrender of conscience. So where do you stand in the scheme of things? Free thinker with a mindset to seek out and devour the truth? Or just another cog in the wheel of blind complacency? Well, of course the choice is yours. But as for me, no matter how much garbage you try to heap in my direction, I will always maintain a healthy appetite for a measure of truth. Well, Truth Seekers, we've come to the close of another show, and special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman, for just a great show. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. Watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.
la, 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 la.